0: Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Aryeh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. So, we're starting on page five, the last two classes were introduction to prayer. And now we are going to, this is going to be our text, the Siddur. So what's the first thing a Jew does in the morning? Wakes so. up. Very good. To <laughs> say, the same, same moda'ani, first, <laughs> first you have to wake up in order to say moda'ani, which is really the essence of Judaism, because when Manaris describes a person could be sleepwalking through life. When a person is asleep, you have eyes, you don't see, you have ears, you don't hear. You have all your faculties, but they're not functioning. So a person can go through life sleepwalking, spiritually sleepwalking. You have eyes you don't see, you have ears you don't hear. So the first thing is we do is we wake up. And when we wake up, what's the first picture that we have? We picture it to ourselves, that the King of Kings, Hashem himself, is standing over me. And the first thing that we do is, we place our hands together, we bow our heads, while we're still lying in bed, and we say, Mode ani, Thank you, Hashem. In the times of the Talmud, Talmud states that when they, would, when they were still in bed, when they first woke up, they would start with the blessing, the first blessing, the blessing of Elakayin Neshama, the bottom of page 5. They were able to say it as soon as they woke up because they were holy people. So even when they were asleep, their hands were clean, didn't touch any places in the body that would disqualify you from saying Hashem's name. They were pure and holy, and therefore there was no impurities. And therefore, they were, as soon as they woke up, before they even washed their hands, they were immediately allowed to make a blessing with Hashem's name. And the reason why you do it immediately, just like... Before you you, uh, eat or drink something, you make a blessing and before you eat or drink and then you eat or drink. So the moment Hashem gives you back your life, which is the source of all pleasures, the very first moment, the first opportunity you have, you have to bless Hashem and thank Hashem. So as soon as you wake up, the first moment you wake up, You wait a moment, you know, you don't you don't you don't jump out of bed. It's very dangerous to jump out of bed the second you wake up. First you say a prayer, mod'ani. In times of the Talmud, they would say a blessing while you're still lying down. You just lift up your head, bow down your head, put place your hands together, and then say modani, and then you get out of bed. The blessing should be said immediately they were allowed to make a blessing, since we are not allowed to make a blessing because we are not on their level, their high level, and therefore when we're asleep, we don't know we, which parts of our body our hands touch, our hands are, are also our hands are impure, because of our sleep, so therefore, we can say a prayer, we can't say a blessing, because you're not allowed to mention God's name while we are in a state of impurity, before we wash our hands. But we say a, 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 a modani. Modani, Hashem's name is not mentioned, so there's no prohibition in saying it. It's a prayer. So if you will, modani is actually the very first prayer that we say. The very first thing a Jew does in the morning is you start out with a prayer. Why is Modani a prayer? Modani, you're not asking for anything. You're not petitioning for anything. You're just praising Hashem. Is praising Hashem per se a prayer? So many say, no, that a prayer is when you petition. Prayer, by definition, is when you petition Hashem and you ask Hashem, you request Hashem for something. That is is a prayer. The Talmud says that the way we pray is, the order of prayer is first you have to praise Hashem. Before you petition the king, first you praise the king. Then you petition. And then you thank, you thank Hashem, you thank, you thank the king for granting you or for listening to your, to your petition. He doesn't have to grant you your petition, but even for listening to your petition. So some say that prayer, prayer means all three together. So Maimonides, as we discussed in the previous classes, Maimonides holds that there's a biblical obligation to pray every day. But for the first 2,000 years of Jewish history, everyone prayed, made up their own prayers, prayed in their own language. So the Ramam says this was the structure of prayer. You started out by praising Hashem, then petitioning Hashem. If you have everything you need, asking Hashem to continue to have everything that you need, and then thanking Hashem. And that's the structure of the Shemoneser. We start out the first three blessings. We praise Hashem, sing Hashem's praises. Then we have the petitions. And then we have the, the uh, three blessings of pray, of thank you at the end. But Rabsad Sadie Goin writes that each of these three, in its own right, is prayer. Prayer is not only when you petition. Prayer is if you praise Hashem, it's prayer. If you petition Hashem, it's called prayer. And when you thank Hashem, it's called prayer. And he brings a proof. In the beginning of the book, the opening of uh, Samuel, we find that the mother of Samuel, Hannah, prayed. In the first chapter, she's praying for a child. And all the laws of prayer, we learn from her prayer. But then the second chapter is, the second chapter opens up, also about this, Paul, Hannah, Hannah prayed. And the whole chapter, she's singing Hashem's praises. She's thanking Hashem for the miracle after she gave birth to Shmuel. Hashem answered a prayer. So there's no petitioning there. It's a whole. The whole chapter essentially is praising Hashem, and it starts out that Hannah prayed. So prayer is not limited to just petitioning and asking for your needs. Prayer is I'm talking to Hashem. Whether I'm praising Hashem, whether I'm petitioning Hashem, whether I'm thanking Hashem, and maybe even when I'm complaining to Hashem, but I'm talking to Hashem. That's prayer. Another proof is look at Shabbos. Shabbos, he's not allowed to petition. You're not allowed to ask Hashem for your personal needs. And according to Maimonides, a, a Jew is obligated, a biblical, we have a biblical obligation to pray to Hashem every day of our lives. So how do you fulfill the mitzvah prayer on Shabbat? When we removed all the, all the petitions and on the holidays, the Jewish holidays, are we not fulfilling the mitzvah prayer? Surely we're fulfilling the mitzvah prayer. So the whole Shem Yesterday is you start out with uh, singing Hashem's praises, then mentioning the sanctity of the day, the Shabbat or the holiday, and at the end, essentially, you're thanking Hashem. The central of the three, last three blessings is Moedim, you're thanking Hashem. So although you are petitioning Hashem, even on Shabbat, even on the holiday, to restore the service in the temple, and you're asking Shalom, please restore peace, But that's not a personal petition. That you're praying for Hashem, that Hashem should restore His service and His temple, He should bestow peace. So it's it's not really petitioning. The the theme of the last three blessings as stated clearly in the Talmud is Moedim, thank you, thanking Hashem. After you pray, you thank Hashem. So obviously this is also prayer. Prayer is not just petitioning. Even thanking Hashem is also prayer. When Mashiach will come. You won't have to petition. You won't have any needs. Everything will be good. And it will continue to be good. You don't even have to pray for it. The rabbis say all the sacrifice in the temple will be nullified. The only sacrifice that will remain is the thanksgiving sacrifice. The prayers will basically constitute a thanksgiving to Hashem. And that's how we're going to pray. And that's how we're going to fulfill our obligation to pray. So Rabbi Sadio Goyen states clearly that prayer is any of these three is prayer. I'm talking to Hashem, whether I'm praising Hashem, whether I'm pleading with Hashem, petitioning to Hashem, whether I'm thanking Hashem. So according to this definition, modani is the first prayer of the day. We're starting out with a prayer. The very first thing that a Jew does. And this sets the tone for the whole day. This is the first impression, which sets the tone for the whole day. How do we begin? We begin with prayer. Just like the patriarchs, the very first Jews. What was the first thing they did? They instituted prayer. Jews practically invented prayer. This is, this is who we are. So the very first thing we do in the morning when we wake up, we start out with a prayer. Mode ani Okay, So first let's read the prayer, and then we'll explain and discuss its meaning. It's worthwhile to read the Alter Rebbe's introduction. Immediately. Jeff, you want to read Immediately. Immediately upon awakening, one must be conscious of Hashem, master of the universe. One would not remain lying in bed in the presence of a human king, and surely not in the presence of Hashem. Therefore, one should say, I offer thanks, immediately upon awakening, for one will thereby be made aware of Hashem's presence and will rise quickly. Barry, read the actual Mode Okay, translation. I offer thanks to you, living and eternal King, for you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Your faithfulness is great. So, if you notice in the prayer book, there is a separation restored my soul within me, period. If you look in the Hebrew, there's a period. There's a dat. Some people read it erroneously. Bechemla rabba with great mercy. No, that's wrong. There's a dat. You restored my soul with mercy. Period. Rabbah emunasecha, great is your faithfulness that you restored my soul. That you promised to restore my soul. When I went to sleep, I handed you my soul, a tired soul the last words we say is I hand over to Hashem uh, my soul to keep, to watch and usually as the Medrash says when you give over something to watch you uh, you give it in something that's uh, that's in good condition and by the time they return it (laughs) it's, it's already worn out here's the exact opposite you give Hashem something worn your soul is worn out and Hashem restores our soul in the morning, refreshed uh, so Rabbi Monasech, great is your faith This is a simple meaning But there's a dat And the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, His birthday was yesterday He was nine years old His older brother was two years older than him His older brother asked him why, why the dat After Bechemla, why the dat And he responded Because The Moda Ani is like the dat And the dat has to be spread out Throughout the whole day what he was saying is that, on one hand, the Moda Ani is just the beginning. It's like the dot. it's the birth, the beginning of consciousness. You're just waking up. But in this prayer, in this, everything could be found in this prayer. It's all there. And the rest of the day, we just have to unpack it and unfold it and roll it out. But everything is contained. The potential is all there. In this connection, in the very first connection that we're making, everything is there in this dot. In this birth, the moment of birth. You know, we Jews know how to celebrate beginnings. The child is born, the bris, Rosh Hashanah. We, we celebrate beginnings because everything is contained in that beginning. In that little dot, everything is contained. On one hand, Moda Ani is a very basic, elementary. Simple level. You just woke up. You're you're half asleep. And you're not saying anything great. Thank you, Hashem, for restoring my soul. You know, there are many layers of prayer. Moda Ani is like the entry point. It's, It's the crossing the threshold. It's the connection. It's the beginning, initial connection with godliness. It's the lowest level. Because what is moda? Moda, in addition to thanking, moda also means in Hebrew to admit. We say moda, we put our hands together, and we bow our head, I'm admitting to God. So, admission means it's not me. There's someone else, someone greater than me, who's like trying to teach me. And I'm opening myself up, I'm admitting. When you admit something, means it's not really me. If it's, if, it's some, if it's really me, who I am, I'm not admitting, then it's my position. If I'm admitting to you, in other words, it's not my position, it's your position. But I am submitting myself to you. All I'm doing is I'm, I'm opening myself up, I'm listening. You're talking to me, you're teaching me, and I'm bowing down. I'm submitting myself to a superior opinion it's not my opinion if it was my opinion then i wouldn't be in then i would be in your position i don't understand it it's not really me but i acknowledge and i submit and i humble myself to your opinion so i bow down and this is the minimal requirement to connect with holiness to connect with godliness to connect with hashem I just woke up, spiritually, I just woke up, I, I'm just starting. I'm, I'm a novice. I'm still raw. I, I, don't, I didn't have time to digest, the process, to think, to meditate, to reflect. It's the initial burst of consciousness. But at the very first moment, I immediately I know one thing: I am bowing down, before you, Hashem. I'm submitting myself. To See, even though it may seem to be a very low level, it's only a dot. It's a little tiny dot. But everything is contained in this little dot. So on a basic level, on a simple level, the moment you wake up, so a drew immediately makes a connection between my waking up and between Hashem. Mode ani, L'fanecha. From the ani, from the I, I am extrapolate L'fanecha to you, Hasha. Just like when you wake up in the morning. You have to experience yourself through the five senses to know that you're there. You have to touch yourself to know that you're there. You have to see yourself in the mirror. You have to hear yourself sing in the shower to know that you're there. You wake up, I. I exist. Who exactly is that I? That I is nothing tangible. It's not your, your nose, your hands, your fingers. Who is that I? It's not the body. That I is your soul. I've never seen my soul. I never heard my soul. But I'm more certain of that I, of that soul, than I am of anything in the world that I can scientifically touch and grasp and measure and see and hear. That I, that self, that indivisible self, that I, that, that's intangible. So when you wake up in the morning and you're aware of yourself, I'm awake, I. Ani, I. Who is that I? An I. I'm more certain of that I than anything else in the universe. So immediately a Jew extrapolates. Mo ani lefanacha. We are the microcosm, and from the microcosm I understand the same is true with the macrocosm. I see a whole world, I see a whole universe. There's inanimate objects, there's organic, there's animal life, there's human life, there's spiritual life, there's the whole universe. But that's just the body. That's just the science, that's just the body, that's just the, the technical, the mechanical. But certainly there's a soul. Even though I've never seen God, and I've never heard God, but I'm more But I understand, God is, God is the soul of everything. So the first moment that you wake up, you immediately awaken to the reality of, L'Fanecha, mode Ani, there's Ani. I immediately know that there's a L'Fanecha, there's Hashem. And I make that connection. And then also, on a very basic level, and this is the foundation of Judaism, this is really the whole foundation of Yiddishkeit, and that's why it sets the tone for the whole day and for everything in our lives. The idea of thank you, moda, the very first thing that we do is we say thank you. Because a Jew's approach to life and assumption of life is that we are lefanecha, we are guests in Hashem's world. We know we're Americans and we have rights. But for a Jew, there are no rights. We have no rights. All we have are privileges. That's the difference if you're an owner if you're a guest. Someone came to your house and started bossing you around, you get very upset at them. How dare you coming into my house and telling me what to do? It's my body. It's my life. I'll do whatever I please. But when you're a guest in someone's house, not only don't you resent or feel imposed upon when your host places restrictions? You can't thank them enough. You're so grateful and thankful and appreciative. Genuinely grateful. Why? What's the difference? Because if it's my house, then I'll do what I want. But if I'm a guest in someone's house, whatever they, I have is a gratuitous kindness. They don't owe me anything. If I'm going to complain, thank, I can't thank them enough. So for a Jew, and this is the foundation of the whole day, and this is the foundation of our lives, we are guests in Hashem's world. Existence, life, pleasure, everything, all the gifts in life, everything that we have in life is lefanech, is Hashem's. We're in Hashem's world. We're sitting at the royal table. So I don't have any rights. All I have is privileges, and for everything I, thank, I can't thank Hashem enough. God creates a whole world and most of the world is off limits to the Jew. It's non-kosher. Out of the 630 mitzvahs, 365 don'ts. God creates a whole world and says, no, 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 this relationship is prohibited and these foods are prohibited. And not only doesn't the Jew feel resentful, we can thank Hashem enough. We make a blessing every time we drink or eat something or benefit from this world. So this becomes a very fundamental approach to life. But the question is, there are 7 billion people in the world. <laughs> Why are Jews the only ones in the world that the moment they wake up, the very first thing on their mind and the very first statement is mo- declaration, is prayer. They start the day, the first moment of wakefulness, of consciousness, we start with prayer. Why are we the only ones who make these connections? How do you know we're the only ones that do this? I mean, uh, you know, the Goyim wake up also, and some are righteous Goyim, they make a connection in some way. You can do a survey and you can, uh, you can find out. Ask, <laughs> ask if while, while they're lying in bed, while they're lying in bed, and the very first thought, and the very first thing they say from their mouth, is mode ani do, do a survey, do a scientific survey. And this, this is that that the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe was talking about. And, and the previous Rebbe once said about the Moda Ani, which really expresses the core and essence of what a Jew is all about. He said that the Moda Ani, we we say the Moda Ani in a state of impurity. That's why we don't say God's name. We're lying in bed. We didn't wash our hands. We're impure. We cannot make a blessing. All we can say is Moda Ani without even mentioning Hashem's name. We say, lefanecha, you, the king. But we don't mention, we're not allowed to mention Hashem's name, the state of impurity. So the previous Rebbe said, what the moda ani tells us, He said all the impurities of the world cannot affect the moda ani of a Jew. But deep down inside, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew, and the core and essence of every Jew, you'll find the moda ani lefanecha that connection, that relationship with Hashem. And this is actually reflected in Jewish law. It's very puzzling. We find in Jewish law that when a person does a sin, if a Jew does a sin without the proper intent, it's not considered a sin. If a Jew walks on grass on Shabbos, But your intent is not to uproot the grass. Your intent is to walk. It just happens to be while you're walking, you also uproot the grass. You haven't desecrated Shabbos. You don't have to bring any sacrifice. And you're allowed to do it. Initially, you're allowed to walk on grass, knowing that you may uproot some grass, which is one of the 39 categories of work. And nevertheless, you're allowed to walk on grass on Shabbos. No no problem. Even if you do uproot the grass, since there's no intent to uproot the grass, that's the halacha, therefore it's permitted. And it's not just in the laws of Shabbos. The very last law in the code of Jewish law of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, the very last law he discusses, there's a prohibition that one, an owner, a Jew, is not allowed to muzzle his animal, and the animal is plowing the field, He's not allowed to muzzle the animal. He has to allow the animal to enjoy and to benefit from the, from the grass. He's not allowed to muzzle him. See, the last law, he discusses what happens if the owner is um, taking his animals, leading his animals, but he's taking them through a shortcut. And the shortcut is to go through the field, although while the animal is crossing the field, the animal is going to be threshing threshing the, the, the wheat. But since that's not his intention, his intention is not for the animals to work, for the animals to be threshing. His intention is he's looking for a shortcut. It just happens to be the, only, the shortest cut is through the field and while they're walking they're also going to be doing work, they're also going to be threshing, threshing the field and the the animal's mouth is muzzled. Has the owner violated the prohibition of not muzzling the animal's mouth? He says no. Because it's not intention, it's not his intent. So even though he, technically, he sinned, your animal is threshing, and the animal's mouth is muzzled while he's threshing, but since his intent is not to work the animal, he's just taking the animal through a shortcut, therefore it's not considered a sin. And the law is, it's not just in these two instances. Throughout the Torah, if if you don't have the proper intent, the sin is not considered a sin. Yet when it comes to a mitzvah, there are many opinions that hold that you don't need any intent. And if you force a Jew, if a non-Jew forces a Jew to eat matzah on Pesach. (laughs) He's not sitting at a Seder. He doesn't want to eat matzah. And Tony takes out a gun to his head and says, if you don't eat the matzah, (laughs) and he eats the matzah because he doesn't want to get his head blown off, he fulfilled the mitzvah of eating matzah. The court, when the court had uh, jurisdiction, when the Jewish court had jurisdiction, in the times of the Talmud, the times of the Temple, they would force a Jew to do a mitzvah. It wasn't optional. And even if the Jew was forced, it's considered a mitzvah. And then we find a very strange law. A puzzling law. It's so puzzling that Maimonides himself has to explain it. A Kohen is not allowed to marry a divorced woman. So what if a Kohen marries a divorced woman? So when the Jewish court had jurisdiction, and jurisprudence, they would force the Kohen to divorce his wife. They would beat him into submission. Now, there's a problem. Because the Torah says that a, a, a divorce, a legal divorce, a Jewish legal divorce is only legal if the husband gives it willingly. So it's like a contradiction in terms. How could you force someone to give a divorce? It's not worth the paper it's written on. Obviously you're forcing him. He doesn't want He's kicking and screaming. He loves the woman. He doesn't care about the Torah. He doesn't care about the... You're just beating him into submission. He doesn't want to die. So of course he'll give the divorce. It's bad enough that you're forcing him to give the divorce. You're forcing him to say, I'm doing it willingly. And whom are you kidding? What kind of legal validity is that? that, uh, how How is this divorce legally valid? So there are those who give a very specious argument. They say that since you're beating him at the submission, so now he wants to give a divorce because he would rather live than, than die. So of course, he wa- not, of course he wants a divorce because he, wa- he doesn't want to be beaten. So legally he wants the divorce. But that's a specious argument. Because Da'alacha says, what if a non-Jew beats up a Jew, not a Kohen, and they beat him at the submission, he should give a divorce, divorce his wife. He's not legally obligated to divorce his wife. There's no reason in the world he should divorce his wife. But they just beat him up and force him to give, give his wife a divorce. Is that divorce legal? That divorce is, has no legal validity whatsoever. Even though they beat him into submission and they force him to say, I'm giving it willingly, So according to this specious argument, well, they beat him at the submission, so therefore he doesn't want to die, so when he says he wants to, it's illegal. No, it's not legal. That divorce has no legal validity. Because in Jewish law, there's a principle, and Maimonides uh, spells it out, that if you're forced to do something, it's not even attributed to you. So much so that if if someone forces you to murder someone, someone holds a gun to your head and forces you to murder someone. Now, yes, by Jewish law, you should rather give up your life. You're not allowed to commit murder, even at the expense of your own life. You should rather die than take another life. But, okay, I didn't follow, I didn't martyr myself. I went ahead and I pulled the trigger. Am I legally obligated for murder? Could you legally try me for murder? Jewish law states he can't. Because I didn't pull the trigger. The person who held a gun to my head, he pulled the trigger. I was just a tool in his hand. He forced me. So legally, you can't attribute my actions to myself. If I'm forced, there's no connection to my action and the person doing it. So how could you... So therefore, if, if, if a non-Jew forces a Jew to give a divorce, when by Jewish law, you're not obligated to give a divorce... It's not a divorce, it's, there's no legally binding. Even though you're beating me into submission, not, I don't want to die, I'd rather give a divorce than die. But I didn't write the divorce. The one who's beating me into submission, he wrote the divorce. I didn't give a divorce, it's not a divorce. It's clearly, I was forced into it. And if I'm forced into it, it's not me. You can't attribute that action to myself. So that begs the question, the case of the Cohen, when by Jewish law you must give a divorce, how can you say that when you force him to give the divorce and when you force him to say I'm doing it willingly that it's legally valid? So Maimonides explains and he says and this is such a fundamental principle in Judaism that, would, that deep down a Jew wants to do the right thing. Every Jew wants to do the right thing. Because every Jew is plugged in every Jew is connected. It's you hara, you delude yourself that you want to sin. That you want to go against Hashem's will. You know, deep down, you want to do the right thing. So therefore, when, when you are forced, even if it's a non-Jew that forces you, forces the Kohen to give a get, and he says, I'm, I'm doing it willingly. When obviously he's not doing it willingly, he's only saying it because they're beating him to death. But when he says, I'm doing it willingly, he's telling the truth. Because deep down, he wants to do the right thing. And this is law. This is, this is not theoretics. This is actually halach. And this is what the moda'ani is about. This is what the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe says. That moda'ani you say in a state of impurity. Because all the impurities in the world cannot take away the moda'ani of a Jew. Deep down. Even a Jew who doesn't say modani. You know, you may argue, since you said Modani in the morning, and that was your first impression, and that set the tone for the whole day. So, therefore, any mitzvah that you do the rest of the day, even if you do it without intent, you already have the intent, because you already said the intent in the morning. But how about a Jew who didn't say Modani in the morning? The whole point of the Modani is that even a Jew doesn't say the Modani all the impurities of the world cannot take away the moda ani of a Jew. Deep down, every Jew is connected. Whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, it doesn't change the reality. It's an objective reality. In other words, that connection to Hashem has a life of its own. That relationship to Hashem has a life of its own. Even if we're not conscious of it, It's there. It is our core, it is our essence. And it's real. We may be disconnected, we may not feel it, we may not experience it, we may not acknowledge it. But the reality and the truth is that deep down inside, we have a live connection. And therefore, when a Jew does a mitzvah, even if he's forced to do the mitzvah, even if he's forced to do the right thing, that is his truth. That is his truth. It's when a Jew sins that you're not being truthful to yourself. And that's why if you sin and you don't have the right intent, that's ah, not considered a sin. Because in the first place, the whole sin is not real. It's not you. You're acting out. It's not the real you. It's not a reflection of who you are. You may delude yourself and parade in the streets and claim this is who I am. The Torah looks us in the eye and says, you have no clue who you are. This is not you. This is not a reflection of the real you, who you really are. When the Torah tells a Jew to do something, the Torah is telling us deep down, this is what you want to do. When the Torah tells a Jew not to do something, the Torah is telling us deep down, you don't want to do this. Because at the core and at the essence, you have this relationship with Hashem. And that's why the first moment the Jew wakes up, what's the first thing you think about? Even before you say the modani. You wake up, you're aware of yourself. Immediately, what are you thinking about? Even before you can utter the words, before you can say the prayer, Hashem is standing right in front of you. That's your first thought. And therefore, what are the, what's the first thing that you do? You pray. You connect. And you immediately make a connection. My soul, the microcosm to the macrocosm. Ani, from me, to you. From my own soul, from my own experience. I'm more certain of my soul than anything in the world I can experience through the five senses, so too I become certain I know Hashem. And I feel and I know that I'm grateful for everything that I have. I don't own anything. My body, my life, my existence, my success, everything that I have is a gift from Hashem, a gratuitous gift from Hashem. I'm sitting in front of Hashem, I'm in the royal palace, I'm sitting at the royal table and therefore I'm grateful and thankful for everything and... And I can live very happily with all the restrictions that Hashem gives me. Because it's not mine. I don't grab anything. I don't take anything. There's nothing in this world that's for me to grab or to take. It's all Hashems. And before I touch anything in this world, I have to make a blessing and I have to thank Hashem and ask Hashem for permission. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful and I'm appreciative. And therefore I only take things that are kosher and I only experience things that are kosher. This is fundamental. this becomes a core principle, an approach to our whole day, to our whole life.